I'm Claire Liu and I'm the CEO of New Year Company and today I've got a super special guest with me. I've got David Henmeyer Hansen who is the co-founder of Basecamp along with the founder of Ruby on Rails which I feel like half the internet is built on including New Year Company and I'm lucky because David actually sits on our board so we've gotten to work pretty closely over the past few years and I know I've personally benefited as a CEO from you know a lot of your insights and so I'm excited to yeah have you here and ask you this one question about leadership. Awesome. I can't wait to be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it's yeah, hopefully it's a question that you're yeah you're ready for. So my question for you David is what's something you wish you would have learned earlier as a leader? Yeah wow that's a good question. There's definitely there's tons of things. I think what I got exposed to early on from leadership training was kind of like the negative end of it. I got to see a yeah. lot of really poor leadership. I got to see a lot of poor management and I learned a lot from that. But there weren't so many positive examples from that to draw for us. So I mean it's great to learn what not to do, but it's also sometimes good to have some idea of what works. Yes. One of the early principles I took from that was just like, oh, I experienced all these bad leadership moments where I went like, I, at least I'm not going to do that. Like, so let me just try to be more authentic in the way that I'm acting as a leader, which means how would I like to be treated? Mm -hmm. Right. So that was where a lot of it got driven for. And I kind of just got it going in that group and thinking like, well, at least if, if I'm acting in ways where if I was on the other side of the table, yeah. I would feel good about it. Like that's good. Right. And I think that goes a long way. That mm -hmm. goes, I don't know half the way maybe right yeah and then the other half of the way is to then realize that like not everyone's like you not everyone would react the same way as you would in a certain situation so you can feel like what we're putting forward or what we're talking about like i'm being fair i'm being mm -hmm. uh on top of it or whatever because i'm putting myself on the other side but i'm putting myself on the other side i'm not putting the person necessarily that i'm talking to on the other side yeah and i think that that was probably one of the things that i had to just learn to see yes. that there were different reactions that i could propose things or talk to people in a certain way or try to inspire people in a certain way that I knew I would have reacted well to just through the experiences that I've had, but then it didn't work for whatever reason, right? right. Because the person on the other, other end of this was not me, right. it was someone else and they had different sensibilities and they had different things that they responded well to. And I think sometimes early on, at least uh, that led to some frustration. Like, yeah, why can't you just get it? Like, this like, should work. Exactly. Right. This, this like, should have worked. Like, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm being unreasonable. I don't feel right. like, because again, I'm putting myself on the other side rather than, I'm trying to be empathetic to my, my own mirror image. Right. Which is not actually a very good definition of empathy, right? Like, you're trying to get, you should get into the other person's shoes, right? Like, I'm trying to get into my own role somewhere else, which is, one good influence, but certainly not the only one. Right. So having just uh, picking up more on who's on the other side and picking up on, it's not just that like someone is not me. It's that that person is different from another person is different from another person. So the way you talk to people, the way you try to motivate them, the mm -hmm. way you try to inspire them, like they're going to be different, mm -hmm. right? Like even within the large group of people that are not me, right? Like there's all these individuals. It sounds so obvious, but I think it, it's harder to summarize than just a, sort of an essay or a single thing and just sure. like, oh, you should do things this way. 
And for then some number of people who respond well to that avenue, that's going to be totally the right thing. Yep. There's just the people who don't. Right. And in some cases, it's like the exact opposite right. that works for one group of people and doesn't work for another group of people. Totally. I think it's so interesting because to your point of it sounding obvious, oh, treat people the way you would like to be treated. Yes. Right? Oh, duh. So obvious. And yet... Yes. It's absolutely not because your point is, you know, it takes some nuance and awareness to realize that, okay, every person isn't like me. Right. They don't have the same experiences, yes. tendencies, personality. And I think, I mean, personally, you know, when I'm you know, thinking about running a your company, it can be hard to, to feel that way because, right. I mean, you're kind of in your own bubble of things. Yep. I mean, for you personally, was there you know, a moment that happened in, you know, the, the past, you know, 10, 15 years as you're running Basecamp where, you know, it kind of stared you in the face and you're like, oh, wow, like, I think I'm putting myself on the other side and not actually thinking about. Yeah, I'm trying to think of me. specific yeah. scenarios. Yeah. Of, I can certainly think of specific characteristics. Okay. So yeah. I have a high sense of urgency. So one of the things that okay. sort of helped <laughs> in this is to get a vocabulary to talk about personality differences and mm -hmm. traits and and leanings. Yes. Um, and we did, uh, at Basecamp a while back, we did a, um, I don't know what it was called. They never call it personality tests or whatever, right? Okay. Like that, that's got not much. It's a, well, assessment. Is I think it's one of the, the strength finder. Strength finder is one of them. Okay. Uh, and we did, we've done another, um, we used to have like an assessment we did with okay. new hires. Cool. That was even more in depth than strength finders. But let's just take strength finders, okay, for cool. example, right? Yeah. Strength finder. Yes. Yeah, so strength finders. Um, I have a high level of urgency. I then have a lower score on thoroughness. And those things are frequently in conflict. And there are other people in the company that have relatively low levels of urgency and very high levels of thoroughness. Mm -hmm. So they really want to make sure that all the I's are dotted and T's striped or whatever that call, it's called or something. Um, so sometimes there's a tension there, right? Like I go, I look at a problem or I look at a project and go like, we could ship this in two weeks. And they go like, uh, what are you talking about? Uh, no, 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 no way. And it's not because we're looking at things differently in the sense of how much hourly input there needs to be. When I think of we could ship this in two weeks, I'm not thinking, oh, we could ship this in two weeks if we worked 120 hours and worked weekends and whatever. Yeah. I'm thinking we could ship this in two weeks because I will cut this corner, that corner, and this corner. And I'll end up with a smaller problem that I need to solve in two weeks. And I can solve that in 40 hours a week. Mm -hmm. Versus there are other people in the company who have a much higher level of thoroughness who will think through like all these other, well, what about this edge case? What about that edge case? And what about this edge yeah. case, right? Those edge cases are totally valid. It's just in, in many cases, I'm just willing to trade off that like, eh, let's just launch it and see what happens. Because what we launch might not be worth it at all. And then we could have solved all sorts of edge cases for something that just is a dud. It yes. doesn't go anywhere, yes. right? I think even between Jason and I, we often have some of this tension because we have different sensibilities around these. Jason yes. happens to also have a very high level of urgency. So there we have sort of some okay. common Alignment. ground on things. Yeah. But we have other sensibilities around like experiments, how much to invest up front in experiment. I okay. have a very relatively low tolerance. I want to put in the least amount I can to just get a trial building going. And Jason's often more like, no, that won't be a proper trial. You have to round it out more. You have to spend more time on it. Otherwise, you, you won't get a viable result. Hmm. So there's just all these inherent traits, I think, like thoroughness or urgency, intention. And you can often come into these illusions of disagreement or of tension or whatever, because people coming through from different angles, when I say like, oh, we could ship this in two weeks. And someone goes like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like that's, no, no, we could do that. We're just not talking about the same thing, yeah. right? Like you're talking about a version of the project that is embellished in all sorts of ways to deal with all these 
edge cases, and it's completely reasonable to talk about that, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about the version I have in my head that has like half of it cut off and like <laughs> two thirds of it just stopped out to, to get something out there. So this is just one example of something where you can get into conflict or tension or miss each other mm-hmm. because you're coming at it from different angles and the way that I'm proposing things, I'm trying to talk to myself, right? Because yes. that's the first bar to clear. And I think most people don't even clear that bar, right? right. They're not they're not treating others like they would be wanted to be treated mm-hmm. themselves. Right. But if you clear that bar, then the next level is, well, you have to treat others like they would want to be treated. Right. Not just like who, how you would want to be treated, which requires all that additional level of empathy and insight into who are they? Right. What are their strengths? What are their sensibilities? Uh, what do they respond to? Yes. And once you unlock that, everything becomes a lot easier. Right. And I mean, it's not even once you unlock that because you'll never truly unlock that. But at least if you're trying, right. you're making an effort to kind of understand who the recipient is, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. Which it's funny because I frequently have just internal tension with that, like in my writing. Some writers think like, oh, think about your reader and like, what would they, I'd never do that. Yes. I, the only way I can write in a productive manner is to think about myself on the other side of it. What would I want to read? And again, that just tops out at some level. And I'm sure that's restrictive in some levels that there are ways, perhaps some of the messages that we have could reach broader Mm -hmm. if we were better or more capable of writing for other people and not just for ourselves. I accept that limitation in my writing. I try not to accept that limitation in, in leadership and management. Sure. Well, and that's, that was literally like the next question I, I wanted to ask when you brought this topic up, because I completely agree that I think as a leader, there's almost sometimes this fine line between wanting to, you know, push the company forward and lead your team and inspire folks in a way where it's, you know, catering very much to the individual right. tastes and preferences of every employee. Mm-hmm. But is there a line to where you shouldn't do that or can't do that or in a case of you can't make everyone in the company happy, right? Or, yeah, you, or you can't fulfill every person's and, and, and sort of you know present something in a way where right. every person who, whether they're you know more thorough or they have a greater right. sense of urgency are going to feel good. Like how do you like find, straddle that line? Yeah, I think it's one of the things like uh, – the math between two points is relatively simple, and then you add a third or fourth point, and it's completely utterly yeah. ununderstandable. And I try not to like. I haven't even. I'm not even solved the point to point part of the puzzle sure. yet, so I don't try to necessarily solve the thirty-four point part of the puzzle. So I mostly use this technique when I'm dealing with people one-on-one, in one-on-ones, mm-hmm. or in direct uh, approach to like developing people. Mm-hmm. When it comes to sort of broader initiatives on the company level or what we're doing or whatever, it's there, but not as prominent because sure. then Jason and I have a tendency to, we fall back to like, all right, well, there's two people at least there. There's Jason, there's me, and we have different sensibilities, even though there's some overlap. If between the two of us, we can just sort of have a general understanding mm-hmm. uh, and have somewhat of an idea of like, how would this otherwise be perceived? That's kind of the best that we're at, which is why okay. this is constantly sort of like a, a curve. And I think that this is also one of those things where it helps to have a, a somewhat stable company. Like a lot of the people at Basecamp we've been working with for many, many years. Yeah. We have several people who have worked here for more than a decade. We have tons of people who worked here for five years or more. Mm-hmm. And you get to you have a better shot at understanding people's preferences and strengths and reactions, um, sort of anticipate their reactions right. once you've worked with them for a longer period of time. And I think that's one of the ways that having a stable workforce really works in your favor. And it's one of those things, though, on the other hand, that can throw you off when you 
then have someone new join the company and you don't fully understand what they respond well to you, it's pretty easy to misstep. Right. And that's to some extent just what it is. Like the way you learn about another person is that you misstep and you mm-hmm. sort of gauge reactions and, and you see how, well, the approach you thought was working doesn't. Right. Uh, and then you calibrate and then you try again. But at least just being aware of that is a, it's a big step forward. Absolutely. So as you try to keep this in mind, and like you were saying, you clear this first bar of, okay, I I think I'm treating people how I would like to be treated. And then you approach that second bar of, okay, well, how would they like to be treated? How do you, in your head or in one-on-one interactions, or as you and sort of Jason think about sort of how you also present information to the company? I mean, right now, you know, you've got the the Mm all-company meetup going on mm -hmm. right now. How do you try to bake that into, you know, how you operate as a leader day-to-day? I find it hard to do too explicitly on a conscious level yeah. that this calibration becomes sort of part of the gut reaction system. Yeah. And I think, though, we've gotten better at that in, in sense of, let's say there's some announcement we want to make to the company, mm-hmm. that first we read it for ourselves and clear that first bar. Would I would like to be spoken to in this manner? Mm. And they're like, okay, cool. Hey, let's think about all the ways this could be interpreted in different ways. Yes. Like people sometimes call it a devil advocate or whatever. I just try to misinterpret Uh, anything that we try to put out there and schemes that we put in place. So for example, one of the more, the bigger changes we made on the personnel side of things were a couple of years ago, we went to a new salary pay system. Mm -hmm. We used to have, or what a lot of companies do is very individualized. Everyone negotiated somewhat their own salary Mm -hmm. and like no two people in the company had the same salary. And we just found for us that that was not working well. Mm -hmm. And, And I felt like it wasn't, I wasn't treating the company in the way I would want to be treated because mm. I felt like just a deep sense of unfairness okay. about that. But like people joined at different times, they ended up with different salaries, even though those different salaries didn't always match their differences in skill or experiences. Sure. And I just felt like, hey, I thought through it as in like, so payroll was public. Would I be embarrassed about that? Mm. And in, in a few instances, we ended up feeling, yes, we would. And then we went through this whole process of thinking like, okay, what are we going to do about that? Right. Uh, first thing was like, what is the market actually? We often say like, oh yeah, I think we're paying like a market, but we didn't know. <laughs> yeah. We just had this anecdotal information about like someone said like this person over at this company is being paid so much. So uh-huh. it's just another very rigorous way of dealing with something so important as yes. pay. So we went like, well, let's hire a company. And we ended up uh, using Radford, which is mm-hmm. a service that surveys a bunch of different technology companies. And just thinking through the whole process of what did we want to pay people? Mm-hmm. Like, we hadn't even thought that of it. It yeah. just sort of like happened. Yeah. And we went a lot more rigorous around it, which then meant that at some point we had to communicate that. Like, hey, we're switching from a system that's yeah. this ad hoc system that's not very rigorous and may well be and was unfair in some instances. And we're switching to this new system where everyone is going to be paid the same if they have the same level of uh, experience uh, and skills and work in the same position. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big change. I'd say it's sensitive. And it's, it's very it's sensitive, sensitive, right? It's like about it, money. Yeah. It, it, it's, yeah. Thankfully, in our instance, we sort of had a way of, of doing it where like, it wasn't like we didn't have to decrease anyone's pay. Like the, sure. the, the only sort of factual change was that a bunch of people got a big race. Nice. That's what you say, right? Like, nice. That sounds nice. Okay. But there's all sorts of mm, things that are actually not so nice about okay. it. One of the yeah. case studies we looked at was there was this guy in, I think, uh, Seattle or something running a payment processing company who said, like, we're going to pay everyone 70000 Like, that's going to be the floor. He had read something about, like, oh, at 70000 like, money stopped being... Okay. So sort of like happiness doesn't increase. That's the threshold. That's yeah. the sort of threshold. Yeah. So he wanted okay. to pay everyone 70000 
you go like, and he got an incredible amount of positive feedback and some negative feedback from the outside, right? But sure. you would think like within that company, isn't that only a good? Okay. And it That's turned out, yeah, exactly. It turned out that it wasn't necessarily because there was, there was not just what the floor meant was there was a bunch of people who were, I don't know, making 30,000, 40,000, who got a big raise. And there were people making $105,000 who got no raise. And they got to see all these people who they felt mm-hmm. for whatever reason, like that there before there was a split, maybe they felt like they were being paid 105000 because they had a long degree or they had long experiences or something else, so that there was a relative fix between positions that felt reasonable. And all of a sudden that relative fix got erased, right? And a bunch of people apparently ended up leaving because they were not happy with that at all. And you, you go like, holy shit, that's fascinating. That I'm like, like, you're doing yeah, a supposedly just universally good thing right. by raising the floor, right. but it has all these secondary effects. Right. So that story definitely left the mark, not in the particulars, just in the fact that like clearly the guy who was CEO and wanting to raise everyone's salary mm-hmm. did not anticipate that. No, right? and he had the best of intentions, right? Yes. And, and I think that's that, really right. where this is important because yes. I think most business leaders would think in most cases that they have the best intentions. You know what? Yes. Best intentions is not good enough. Best intentions, <laughs> everyone say they have the best intentions. Yes. Best intentions is bullshit. What matters is outcomes, right? Mm-hmm. And whether you're taking actual steps to anticipate those outcomes and mitigate those outcomes yes. the best you can and just think through that whole thing, right? So when we went through this pay adjustment process, that was one of the big things. Like, okay, right. we're going to move. There were some people who got some very large raises and I felt like that's great. Like we were clearly not, we wanted to set a target that we wanted to pay everyone at the top 5% or the 95th percentile of the industry based on Chicago or better rates. Mm-hmm. And just in, in some cases, like we were just off on that, right? Um, so we were catching up, but still. So these were some of the things we thought through. And then we, we thought through like all the ways we wrote up the announcement. And then we kind of just tried to poke holes on it. From like, oh, if, if I'm a person like this who's sitting in this position where, for example, do not get a raise. Like, yeah. am I going to read this and go like, what a jib? Right. Like everyone else fucking got a exactly. stack of money and, and I didn't get anything. Yeah. So that's one of the strategies we try to use to to get broader perspectives. And again, mm-hmm. these are like we're role playing. So it's a pretty inaccurate science, right? Like there's so many. It's not there's science. A bunch of th- <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's not science. There's a bunch of things. Yeah. Through the reactions to all sorts of things where we went afterwards like, oh, holy shit, I totally couldn't. I don't have a vivid enough imagination to imagine other people sufficiently different from me and their reactions different from me. But then in almost all cases, you can still backtrace and then go like, all right, I actually understand where that's coming from. Right. I think that is such an incredible insight. And it's such, I mean, personally, I find that such an important reminder that, yeah, your, your best intentions are not good enough as an employer, as a leader. It's, right. It's, it's not. It's what you do, right? And it's what goes into that consideration. Most people's best mm-hmm. intentions just go from their, like, little head spinning, mm-hmm. right? Like, maybe they clear the bar of how they want to be treated themselves. And I think oftentimes they don't. They clear some romanticized version mm-hmm. of what they would have done themselves in that yeah. situation. Which is just a pretty poor gauge of whether this is good or not good. Like mm-hmm. your gauge is what is the reaction? Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Yeah. The gauge is what is the reaction? Well, I'll be definitely keeping that in mind, David. Thanks cool. so much for your time. I yes. know everyone's watching this. Yeah. Fun. Appreciate it. Cool. Thanks so Excellent. much. Excellent. Thanks.